Hello, welcome to Failed Architecture Breeze Blocks, where our editors share their thoughts on works in progress, urgent matters and current happenings in architecture and spatial politics. My name's Charlie Clemos. Today, I'm joined by Sasha Plotnikova. Hi, Sasha. Hi, Charlie. Hi. So, uh, Sasha is uh, an organiser for the LA Tenants Union, a tenant-led, member-funded union fighting for the human right for housing. Since the COVID-19 lockdown and the associated impact that this has had on people's incomes, the LA Tenants Union has seen a huge increase in membership and involvement. So, Sasha... It'd be good, first of all, to get a measure of the situation for tenants, maybe in LA in particular, but also in the US overall. Yeah, definitely. So first, I would say this isn't new for us. Um, There's a lot of buzz right now about national reports in the US that 30% of tenants didn't pay rent in April. But I think what people don't realize is that already in March 1st, 20% of tenants did not pay rent. So tenants were already in crisis, right? And we call it a tenants crisis, not a housing crisis. So as we're probably tired of hearing by now, the COVID-19 pandemic and its economic externalities have simply laid bare the kind of violence of capitalism. So in neoliberal cities like LA, the profit motive kind of really overrides the basic rights of low and no income residents. You know, now during this pandemic, we're being asked to stay home from work, right? But yet somehow those missing wages are still expected in that we're expected to pay rent. And this is really like the the main battle that we're fighting right now. So what we've been seeing in the LA Tenants Union is this huge surge of new members, um, many of whom in greater proportions than ever before are from the professional managerial class, right? So people like architects um, who are now realizing their precarity and who, in my opinion, have endured a profession that's like really undervalued their collective labor for far too long, while ironically driving their own displacement in a way. So the long and short of it is many tenants could not afford to pay rent before April 1st, right? So that that in itself doesn't constitute a rent strike. And our work is really organizing that fact into a rent strike, right? So an action that's tied to a demand. And since April 1st, over 12,000 tenants have accessed our rent strike guide. So that's huge. We're at a unique moment. Eviction courts are closed. Um, and meanwhile, a much wider demographic of tenants is enraged and radicalized than ever before. So it's kind of the perfect time to organize against the decommodification of housing. You were already kind of intimating that like the situation has not been created by any means by the current lockdown, that the tenants were already in crisis. I guess with that in mind, um, it would be nice to hear specifically what uh, LA Tenants Union's activities have been, what they've been engaged in over the past few years, but also, yeah, how, how this has changed um, since this like sudden spike in unemployment in recent weeks. Yeah, so just as a bit of a background, the LA Tenants Union was founded in 2015. And over the past five years, we've gone from one small group of people to 12 local chapters across the city. And we always say we want 96 local chapters to replace the 96 neighborhood councils here, which are basically useless. So those local chapters have gained a lot of autonomy in that time. And tenants come to the meetings that those chapters hold when they're faced with insurmountable rent hikes, landlord harassment, evictions, and habitability issues. So I think while all those things might sound like discrete problems, we see them all as tools of gentrification, which we define as the displacement and replacement of the poor for profit. And 
I also have to say, none of us are getting paid to do this. This is all solidarity work. So we're not a nonprofit. We're not beholden to any political campaigns. And our funding comes directly from our member dues. So we're doing this because we believe in the project of collectivizing. So our work is really in supporting tenants and making those connections with our neighbors, organizing into tenants associations, and then starting the process of collective bargaining using direct actions. And that's probably our most visible work, right? So we're kind of famous for traveling up the state to visit our landlords' homes in Silicon Valley. We've started to do occupations. We've been doing rent strikes for many years now. Many have credited us with bringing the rent strike back as a tactic in the U.S., given the current tenants' rights crisis, and eviction blockades as well. And all of these are acting to win a demand. So since the spike in unemployment, like you mentioned, um, during the lockdown, this whole process is simply being sped up and scaled up. So we've launched a campaign that we're calling Food Not Rent, where we're asking tenants to choose food, medication, and mutual aid efforts before they pay their rent. So food over rent. But that's just the first step. That in itself, withholding rent, doesn't constitute organizing, right? So acting collectively with your neighbors and tying a demand to your non-payment of rent, that's organizing. So suddenly we have a week instead of a month to do outreach to all the neighbors in a building and help them form a tenants association. Those tenants then have a week, not another month, to confront their landlord. So in this case, with a collective non-payment of rent letter. Then suddenly they're on rent strike. So that's a process that typically takes months of trust building, building up financial infrastructures, hiring lawyers. That all now happens in a matter of a week or two because we simply have no choice, right? People aren't paying rent whether or not we're calling it a rent strike. And calling it a rent strike actually gives them a fighting chance for getting this rent canceled. So that's kind of where tenants unions come in. When you link that action of withholding rent to collective power, and then you use that collective power to put forth a demand, you're actually going somewhere. And you have far more pr protections, at least in California, when you collectivize than when you act alone. So it's this process, but in hundreds of buildings across the city, which we've never seen before, we've never done anything at this scale before, all happening in the span of a few weeks so far, right? And at a pace that no one could foresee. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Like you've got yeah. to be wary of seeing a crisis as an opportunity or a tragedy as an opportunity. But it, it's almost like it's just a, a fact on the ground, as you say. It's, it's already a material condition that is just being organized according to the sort of needs of people, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that we've been working on that's a little bit adjacent to our work and this I'm sort of doing in a small kind of offshoot working group is... I think for the first time, we're actually starting to build real coalitions with other groups in the city. So a few of us have started what we're calling the People's City Council, and that's kind of taken the place of our typical direct actions. So we're hosting car rallies at council members and at the mayor's homes. And that's not, you know, we we really believe in the tenants union that legislative pressure only goes so far, right? Ultimately, these people are, are literally being paid by developers, but it's kind of exposing that injustice um, that I think is the real aim of these protests. And it's just been really exciting to actually start reaching out to folks like Sunrise Los Angeles and really working closely with folks from Streetwatch LA, which do a lot of really important work with our unhoused communities. And they actually have a really incredible campaign right now demanding that the mayor commandeer vacant hotel rooms and convert it into housing for the unhoused. So there's there's all of these things going on outside of the rent strike, but that are definitely kind of coming to the fore because of this crisis. So we're all really tired, but it's definitely a really exciting time to have the movement grow. Just to sort of zoom out a little bit, I think 
this concept of the rent strike maybe needs a bit of, um, I, I guess, contextualizing or, or um, theorizing. It obviously hasn't been so much in the foreground in terms of collective organizing and activism. So I wondered if you could like maybe just briefly explain the, I guess, maybe the key difference between a focus on rent and its refusal and say a labor strike or or a kind of single issue protest and and what are the challenges with say organizing a rent strike compared to other forms of protest yeah for sure um so i'll just say up front i don't purport to be an expert on labor organizing but i actually think that the labor movement and the tenants movement have quite a bit in common right so just to kind of take as the bottom line we're mobilizing en masse an underclass against the concentration of power right And at the same time, tenants are workers and workers are tenants. So it's the same people, really, but um, it's a focus, obviously, on the fight for housing justice, which is very much tied to the fight for a living wage, right? Um, Ultimately, it's the fight for the right to a decent life, um, free of economic subjugation. One major difference that I would point to is that a lot of the tenants we work with have absentee landlords. So often they're giant corporations like Blackstone, which are kind of like international monstrous entities, but they could also be out-of-town investors or vulture landlords who may live in LA, but certainly don't live alongside their low-income tenants. So starting the process of reaching out to neighbors and having meetings isn't an inherently risky activity, as it often is when you're organizing in the workplace. I think a really big challenge in organizing tenants versus organizing workers is that suddenly the domestic realm has to become a kind of politicized space. And that's something that I think is really foreign to at least like thinking around the home in the US where we don't see it as a space of collective bargaining or organizing. But that's often actually where a lot of those meetings happen, where your neighbors come in and you suddenly have to talk about these really heavy personal things like, how much rent are you paying? How much do you make? Will you be able to afford rent next month what about the month after how do you feel about these like new security cameras that they've installed right so making that leap to actually being comfortable with thinking of the home as a politicized space and then seeing that as a real kind of space of political leverage um, is a challenge and i think on top of that giving that kind of newly politicized space legs by coupling it with the understanding that housing is a basic need, not a commodity, is yet another leap, right? Because that thinking around the home as this kind of like earned prize and home ownership as this ideal in the US is really, really deeply entrenched. Um, so I would say it's it's kind of hits at a much more personal level than um, I think a lot of labor organizing does. So in their article, Rent and Its Discontents, Julian Francis Park suggests that rent abolition, for those who don't know what that is, is a permanent rent strike, uh, ought to be the kind of ultimate goal of the tenants movement. Leading on from what you were saying before about trying to convince people of the the house and housing and the domestic space as a site of contestation, this is like very provocative for probably a lot of people that hadn't really realised that already. But I'd be interested to know whether you agree with this assessment, whether the permanent rent strike is kind of the ultimate goal? And if so, how far are sort of tenants unions and the tenants movement from attaining this goal, particularly in light of the increased interest in tenants activism in the past few weeks? 
Yeah, I'm really glad that you bring up that piece, which I think actually captures the current climate around tenant activism in California really well. And I absolutely agree with that assessment. Uh, Rent abolition is the horizon that we're kind of always moving towards. That doesn't mean that we're anywhere near it, right? But I think having an eye on that ever-shifting horizon helps to kind of guide our short-term and long-term goals. So it reminds us of our politics, like, why are we here? What is housing justice? For us, it's the decommodification of housing. That's justice. What does that mean? What does it mean when housing is financialized and built on land that's actually stolen in the first place, right? It means taking housing off the market completely, which is really what rent abolition is getting towards, right? Kind of understanding that housing is just this basic right and that everyone is completely entitled to it. But what I would say is that we're getting very close to actually is normalizing the understanding that cities simply cannot go on this way. So through the tenants crisis, which has been exacerbated by this economic shutdown, more and more renters are realizing that they have much more in common with their unhoused neighbors than they do with landlords or politicians. And that's why our definition of tenant is anyone who does not control their own housing. We're actually challenging ownership as a precondition of power and of self-determination. And this is a huge leap, again, like talking about these kind of conceptual leaps that we're hoping to embed in the in mass consciousness, getting out of that deeply entrenched American idealization of homeownership as a marker of citizenship or personhood is a lot of work. And as this crisis hits the middle class, like I mentioned, some of the demands that we were so adamant about just a few years ago, like universal rent control, no longer seem so radical. Nice. Um, with that all in mind, it'd be nice to know, how can people get involved in tenant organizing? So the first thing you can do, and I think it's so obvious that we often don't think about it, is just start talking to your neighbors. <laughs> um, and I think that uh, too many of us fall into this default urban isolation mode. But I think that's really the first thing. If you don't know your neighbors yet, introduce yourself, build those relationships, help each other out, feed their cat when they go on vacation. And that's already starting to do the work of building a tenants association for your building or your block or maybe even your neighborhood. So it's not actually too different. Those, those interactions aren't actually too different from what tenant organizers do in a union. We get to know each other and we have each other's backs. And I think besides that, there's a lot you can do to support a union without necessarily diving headfirst into the work of organizing, which is not quite as easy as I, as I just made it sound. So every union needs members who can do outreach, who can make graphics, who can put on events and keep track of membership dues, for instance. As far as actually connecting with a tenants union in your area, it takes a little bit of digging. In um, the US and Canada, we have the Autonomous Tenants Union Network, which LATU was a founding member of, and that includes tenants unions from across the US and Canada. So you can email outreach at latenantsunion.org, and we can put you in touch with a tenants union that's closest to you. But Otherwise, you have to do your research, find out who's doing all the work that politicians are failing to do in your area. You might not find a tenants union right away, but you'll find the right people and you'll very likely find someone who wants to start a tenants union with you. 